Welcome to Hearts and Stripes, your one-stop shop for all things military marriage. I hope our discussions and interviews equip you with the tools to start or grow a beautiful marriage as we address the benefits and challenges of mill marriage. I believe life's most precious moments are worth celebrating, so I'll help you design your marriage blueprint in alignment with your core values. Thank you for joining us, and remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Let's do this. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Hearts and Stripes. I'm your host, Bree Carroll, here with an exciting heart to heart. You get extra bang for your buck today as I talk to a very special guest. And I won't delay, I'm gonna just jump right into her official bio. Amy Boucher is the executive editor of Military.com, where she manages and directs the site's news, content, and daily operations. After her husband, Luke, left the active duty army for Army Guard in 2016, she moved her family to Palmer, Alaska, a place they'd never been in search of healing wounds from war. Now, Luke and Amy are developing a nonprofit, Remedy Alpine, which seeks to reduce isolation among Alaska's veterans through spending time outside. Amy is amazing, and I'm super excited to talk to her, especially because of her September article that was written on the divorce rate in our military community. This is going to be an excellent episode and you even get a bonus when it comes to a new way on wellness. So without further delay, here's our chat with Amy. I am excited to be interviewing Amy. You heard her official bio and the reason why I'm really excited for this episode is because the value and the data and the stories that she brings by way of military.com that is just scratching the surface of what she does and we get to hear from this woman herself all of the amazing things that she is doing and currently working on so that we can get plugged in so amy thank you so much for being here and welcome to hearts and stripes podcast Bree, thanks so much for having me it's an honor yeah so i just want to jump right on in i would love to hear your military marriage story um we know that you are a spouse and you do so many amazing things just outside of just spouse life, which is really an encouragement to our listeners. So share a little bit about you, maybe a little bit. How many times have you guys PCS? How long have you been married? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, like I said, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real honor to be here. So um, I have been a military spouse since 2008 when I married my active, then active duty army soldier. Um, and we were married and he was stationed at Fort Lewis, uh, Washington state. So joint base Lewis McCord in Washington state in the Seattle area. Um, and, uh, we did what you do, right. Which is immediately as fast as humanly possible. Have as a baby. Possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. And then we did the other thing you do, which is as fast as humanly possible after said baby is born, do a deployment. Yeah. Um, and so he deployed five weeks after our first son was born, uh, which was not even a year, like, you know, all but 10 months sort of to the day after. Yeah. We were, right. So uh, he deployed to Afghanistan and then I was back stateside with our kiddo, whose name is Dave, 
is now 11. So, um, yeah. So, you know, military marriage is so complex because you're not only are you getting used to this new life of being a military of being a spouse like just being right married of itself is like real hard you know exactly <laughs> no one understands or appreciates until you're approximately seven years in um but you're also expected to handle all of the stresses of a new lifestyle and just really leaving your identity and all of these things we talk about in the military marriage community all the time. So throw a deployment in the mix and a baby and you just have yourself a hot mess is what, is what you got going yeah. on. <laughs> exactly. It's like the pressure cooker. It's like you just yeah. throw it all in there and just turn Absolutely. it up. And, and Absolutely. Go for so, it. so uh, unfortunately, his deployment was not low key he deployed to the Argandab Valley of um, Afghanistan in mm. 2009. And wow. anybody whose spouse deployed to Afghanistan in 2009 knows what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It was not a low-key year for the U.S. and Afghanistan. We took a lot of casualties. Our unit, our battalion alone took over 20 casualties, 20 wow. guys killed, and most of those between early August and late November. So we really had a very high op tempo downrange and then a lot of casualties and injuries and deaths associated with that. So as a military spouse, what does that look like, right? Well, it looks like you're sitting at home waiting for someone to knock on your door because somebody has been knocking on the door of your friends for weeks. Right. You know, you're waiting for the phone call that says he's been injured and is being evacuated to, you know, Germany and then Walter Reed, because that's the phone call your friends have been getting for weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, You're attending a military memorial service, basically as just sort of a standing thing for multiple people every Wednesday for months on end. Wow. Um, You know, because our, while our battalion took just over 20 um, deaths, the brigade as a whole had over 50. And so you're just, your rear end is sitting in that chapel row four, you know, or five with the rest of the spouses from the unit. Um, for, you know, as like, literally we had a standing memorial on Wednesdays. We knew we would have one. And I had a standing hourly care appointment on Wednesdays that I knew I would be using for memorial service. Just book it for Wednesday, 10 AM. I'll be there, you know? Um, and so that sort of stress is just, um, you don't, you know, it's like a lot in the moment, but you don't understand the level to which it's a lot until later certainly don't understand that if that's your first deployment and you certainly don't understand that if it's your first year of military marriage or second year, right? Like it's, um, that's hard to quantify and really, um, have any expectations around or preparation for, or even know how to handle. Right. You, you couldn't prepare. There's no way. No way. No way. So you know, so he gets home from Afghanistan. He had been deployed early as part of what the army calls the torch team. So it's the guys who go before the guys to get, I mean, he's like receiving the equipment shipments essentially. Right. Um, right. And then he was redeployed early as well, which is in of itself a blessing and a curse. Um, so he came home, he took over the rear detachment in December from the guy who was, was doing it and they swap places essentially. Um, right. And um, that in and of itself was, um, man, I thought that was a great thing at a time, but I would trade that back now. Please go back mm. to Afghanistan. Because what it meant for us was that he um, literally was holding his, you know, his guys while they died. And then he came home and had, was in charge of taking care of their moms and widows. Wow. In a deployed, yeah. In a deployed unit setting. And that is a real heavy thing to, to carry um, right. for him right. and for me. 
you know, and now I'm the only person whose spouse is home in one piece, you know, and everybody that is, else is dealing that with it. You know what? I'm glad you called that out because that is a very tough and awkward position to be put in. And now you're the strain that's on your relationship is whew, through yeah, the roof. And, and even that, I didn't realize at the time how stressful that was, but I yeah. like, you know, thank God for Facebook memories. So I can go back and see what a moron <laughs> I was on a regular basis because, yeah. <laughs> because I, you know, I look at some of the stuff, I just cringe worthy things I was putting on social media at the time because I just didn't understand. I was just so grateful to have him home that I didn't understand anything around that, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so everyone else comes home, we get PCS'd out to Fort Benning, Georgia, where when they in-process you for the officers, um, the, um, it was called uh, the MCCC, I'm not sure it's still called that, but it's essentially the captain's career course for the okay. infantry. When they in-process you this, for this, um, you know, the general in charge of the whatever gets up there and gives a little pep talk. And this particular one said something to the effect of like, this is your time to take a knee, okay? Um, and you're sitting there like, well, that sounds great. That sounds great. What that looks like is your spouse is now in your house a lot. Like, Huge change. <laughs> maybe you should like get a hobby, you know? Maybe too much. Yes. yes. Maybe too much. Okay. And so that's a strand of its own, right? Um, mm -hmm. And furthermore, in that kind of an off-tempo setting, these guys are coming out of deployment and going straight into take a knee land with no like mental health guidance or anything like that. And so... Um, you know, we went from the fire, the fire, the fire to moving across the country and now just like, you know, yeah, right, right. Whoa. Those, those are some huge ebbs and flows. Like there's, yeah. there's no adjustment period no in there. And like you said, if you didn't have any resources available at that time to kind of bridge that gap from, from that optimal to like, okay. And just relax and right, everything's exactly. fine now. Like that's tough. That is really so, tough to adjust. So let's fast forward because that's what Army Life does, just where you play, <laughs> right? Right. Um, we know from studies that PTSD and con other con like mental combat related injuries don't really become a thing that people are forced to deal with. Like they're a problem. Let's not lie. Right. But they're not a problem right. that's really knocking at your door until somewhere around the six to eight year mark after the fact. Like wow, you yeah. haven't dealt with this yep. stuff for the last six years, you're going to find out now. Okay. Um, maybe if you've been proactive, that's not true. I can't speak from experience to that, but I can, let me testify that eight year mark, that's a mother. So, <laughs> wow. Right here. Um, keeping it and, real here. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And so we're at Fort Campbell at this point and like, it just, everything just falls apart. Like he just disintegrates. Um, and all of a sudden he's having some major mental health problems. He's having, um, you know, it's like putting a strain on our family and our marriage that I just, I can't even describe. Um, he is having memory problems. He is having health problems. Mm -hmm. Um, he's supposed to deploy and he gets pulled off of the deployment, uh, literally the day before deployment, like his oh, bee bag no. is already overseas with his underwear in it. Okay? Wow. Um, and he's great timing, right? Yeah. First, by the way, brief for, four months, like four months later, I'm like, where is all of your underwear? Like, how is this? <laughs> right. He's like, oh, it's in Afghanistan. It's like, you didn't want to mention that no, four months that, ago. Yeah, I could have totally just bought you some. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, real life, right? Um, 
So, you know, we wake up one day and he ha- is having like a major heart condition um, mm. and gets pulled off the plane because he needs heart surgery. So he wow. goes in company command and having this great career too. It's just literally yanked out from underneath him. His unit gets on the plane the next day and deploys and he's back, his rear's back home. Um, you That's know, tough. Recovering from surgery. So yeah. like all of these things and the mental health challenges and all this stuff really um, came to a head in 2014, 2015 for us. And I realized like, if we're going to still be a family, we need to address this and make a major change. Like we have to absolutely now and head on. And, and it, it really came to the point of, okay, you can stay here and do the army thing and that's fine, but I'm going to take the kids and move back to Washington state where we were really happy. And when you can get the army to stay and do back there, you know, like we can geo back, whatever, like for me, yes. Do this. And I appreciate that you're calling that out too, because geobatching is really an option. And I think uh, one, I want to foot stomp the fact that you as the spouse assessed the situation and said, for the help of our family and our marriage, these are the options that we maybe need to take. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm really excited that you mentioned that time of separation to help your marriage. Because I think oftentimes people think of separations like that in a negative light. But for our military community, it's very different, especially if we're used to them being gone via deployments and stuff anyway. Sometimes that separation is hitting the reset button and Mm -hmm. it's much needed. So thank you for for sharing. Yeah, well, so we didn't actually end up doing that because, you know, the other option I gave him was like, get out. You know, like he had his his career was gold. Mm -hmm. His family was not. Got it. Um, And so, you know, I said, look, like you you could get out. You could get out right now. You can get out in a year, you know, and then we could do what we want. Like you are a talented, competent person. You don't have to be in the army if you don't want to. Service is great. I know you love it. If you love it, stay in. And that's what matters to you. But like, think about this other thing, you know? And so we actually made the decision for him to get out and go guard. Um, that's, that's good. And it's a good option. Alternative. Yeah, right? yeah, right, exactly. So stabilization, he still gets to wear the uniform. Initially it was the idea that we would go guard for just you know, traditional weekend guardsman stuff. Um, he's actually now active guard. He took a mm-hmm. active guard role for the, just a year after the year we'll assess. Right. Right. Um, right. But th- that's been, I mean, this is four years after we got out and he decided to do that. So it's still a transition, but right. you know, we looked at our lives and said, for the health of our family, we need to make a change. Like we need to make a big change. Mm-hmm. And since my job is remote and you are getting out of the army and going to use your GI bill, we can do whatever we want. So we decided that the thing that really made a difference for him from a mental health perspective was spending time outside. It was something that we could visibly see through his act, like through his, just how he acted. We would go camping and it was what, like watching somebody take off a backpack piece by piece as they pitched a tent. It was like, just this big sigh of relief every time. And so, you know, we decided as a family that what we wanted to do was reassess our lives and recalibrate it to be more nature centric. Um, And so we literally packed up the station wagon and moved sight unseen to Alaska, which is where I am talking to you from now. uh, Yeah. Um, And he got a job in the Alaska National Guard as a guardsman. Um, and started going to graduate school and my job is mobile. So here I am. Uh, And we did this move and we made that decision for our marriage and for our family and 
And, you know, I talk about it being for his mental health or for my mental health, but let's be honest, like all of those things are a part, mm-hmm. it's all, it's like a tree. It right? is. It is absolutely. And I, and I love the, the opportunity. First of all, you guys are brave enough to take that adventure, pack things up and just go to a location that would support and have an environment where you really could get in touch with nature. And I love, I listen to all types of different leaders, Trent Shelton for, to be one of them. And he always emphasizes that connection with, late, with uh, nature, excuse me, that connection with nature that just really transforms and changes people's outlook. You can see their body more relaxed, more at ease. Um, it is just something about connecting with nature that just changes situations. And that's why I love the fact that your passion project, like we know your, your career side as a journalist, and we love the work that you do for military.com, but I really want to touch base about your, your passion project. Let's talk a little bit about that nonprofit, um, Remedy Alpine, and let's jump into Humans Outside 365 Project. Share a little bit about uh, those two initiatives that you guys have and, and how we can get plugged in with them. Yeah, so Remedy Alpine, uh, you can find it at remedyalpine.org, is a nonprofit that serves Alaska's veterans by helping them spend more time outside, essentially. So the idea is that um, a lot of veterans, um, Alaska actually has the highest per capita veteran population in the U.S., about 13%. A lot of veterans move up here to look for that solitude and kind of just get away from the crazy Right. But because of the challenges of living somewhere where it's dark a lot and cold part, you know, really cold part of the year and um, there's not a large population, it's, mm-hmm. it's really easy for that, that search for solitude to instead spiral into isolation, which we know is tied to depression and of course right. Right. directly linked with suicide. So we really want to mitigate that isolation problem with encouraging and helping veterans to seek solitude. So solitude can be found by going into the backcountry and really focusing how you're spending your time outside in a, in a purposeful way. But a lot of people don't do that because the challenges of getting outside sort of um, eclipse the benefits. So um, you don't know where to go. You don't know what equipment you need. Maybe you, you would rather go with someone, but you don't know someone. So Remedy Alpine takes a vet, um, Alaska's veterans into the backcountry through single day hikes or overnight adventures in an effort to help with that problem. Um, That's it awesome. It started by my husband, Luke, and a couple of his friends. And it's actually the thing we dreamed about doing when we moved up here was to do that for ourselves and, and share that with others. And so that's, that's what he's doing sort of like in conjunction with, but not because of sort you know, independent of, and next to, or also, you know, same <laughs> yeah. subject, I guess. Okay. So humans <laughs> outside in 2017, I realized after we'd been here a year that, um, Frankly, the weather in Alaska wasn't going to do what I wanted it to do, which I know mm, is a real Yeah, issue. I'm in my not North Dakota, so close, but not quite. Yeah, so. right. So you're like sitting there being like, all right, buddy, let's get warm. And it's like, nope. no. Okay. <laughs> nice try. And you're like, it's Memorial Day. It's time for niceness. And it's like, let's rain. So I, you know, I'm literally sitting outside on Memorial Day weekend in 2017, getting rained on like willing it to be nice so that I can be outside. And yeah. And I was like, gosh, darn it. Like, this is not going to work out. You know, like I, the only thing that I can change is me. 
you know? Right. So I, so I marched my rear end inside. I got on REI.com and I bought everybody in my family rain, um, rain pants. Um, and you know, like the All right. rain Let's jackets go. for the kids who are little. And I was like, we're going outside anyway. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to go outside every day between now and, Memorial, and Labor Day. Just see if I can. 99 days. So I'll stick it on Instagram and I'll call it the 99 days of summer and it'll be great. And I did. I went outside for just a, at least a few minutes every single day mm-hmm. during that period. But as I got closer and closer to the end, I thought, well, what would happen if I went outside every day for a set amount of time for a year? What would happen then? You know, would I be smarter, healthier, happier? Would my relationships be better? Would I be less interested in, you know, slowly murdering my family in the wintertime? Just hey, you know, there you go. Real life things, right? So September 1st, 2017, I set out for just a year to see mm-hmm. what would happen if I spent at least 20 consecutive minutes outside every day. Um, and I call it, I hashtag it humans outside 365 on Instagram. Um, and I have a website, humansoutside.com that I had before that, that I sort of tied to it. And so it's been over three years and I'm still doing it. Uh, the answer was what happens is you, you know, a, in addition to all those other things I mentioned, you want to do it more. Yeah. Um, and so I have not stopped. I've done, I mean, it's been well over a thousand days. Love it. Spoiler uh, alert. You want to do it more. That's, that's you awesome. Do it more. And so it's, uh, it's just the, developing an outdoor habit. And now I have um, the Humans Outside podcast, which is dedicated to this topic, um, dedicated to the idea of encouraging people to get outside and build a daily outdoor habit. And I do that by connecting them with outdoor-minded guests. And we can talk about the whys and the hows and the practicalities and the inspirations around this practice of wellness. Uh, You know, we've had a certified forest therapist. Um, I have um, people who've done really tremendously um, just draw dropping things outside. Um, I had the founder of the 1000 hours outside movement who, and they spent a thousand, I mean, spoiler to the name, thousand hours outside. <laughs> right. Great. Like that's so much more than I do. So I can't even imagine that. Um, Laura Vanderkam, who's a time management expert came on and talked about, uh, you know, how to have time for that. Right. So it's really blossomed into this great thing. And, and then I get to interview people I think are really interesting that I want to share with other people. And I have an excuse to do it, which is fantastic. Yes. So, Don't yeah, you just love podcasting? Project. Exactly. Yeah, so oh, everybody, please, please check out Humans Outside Podcast. You can find out so much more. And another spoiler alert, your EYS may have something to do with going outside. So, (laughs) Amy, this has been incredible. Thank you for being so transparent about your mill marriage story. I really do want to touch back on um, your journalism and how you've been covering marriages, kind of what you've seen, because you did mention in 2010, you did a journalism fellowship. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of how that work has continued even till now. Yeah. So like a lot of military spouses who got married and moved across the country and immediately had a baby and then right away did a deployment, I also left my job. And so, mm-hmm. and so uh, towards the end, towards the um, beginning really of 2010, I you know, I started thinking like, well, you know, I've got this baby thing down and the deployment's over. So I want to now have my job back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking for projects to do. And this fellowship was something that, um, 
that the organization that did it was, it was a fellowship that several friends had previously won. And so I knew about it and knew how to apply and sort of had networking connections there. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that you can't possibly understand the true stress of everything that you're dealing with while you're dealing with it, but it sort of smells like it in the room. Um, and so I uh, thought, huh, I wonder how good, you know, this whole deployment thing is on being married. You know, yeah. does that look like from a, you know, success standpoint? And of course, no, in no way was I thinking, and obviously uh, my marriage is at risk. Like, I was like, oh, well, it's fine. I got this You got it. It's fine. This is not about me. So um, I started <laughs> researching uh, and writing about divorce in the military. And really mm -hmm. the military's focus on encouraging strong marriages and the things that they were doing for that and whether or not those things were successful and why those things and that spend was needed. Because of course, like everything, they spend money on it. Um, you know, does strong bonds work? Who's talking about this? Right, right. Um, and so I applied for and then won that fellowship and then did that study as a part of that. Um, and through that process was reconnected with a friend at military.com and ended up working here where I've been now for over a decade. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things I did through that fellowship was hit up the department, department of defense for the divorce statistics. Like, Hey, how many people get divorced in this? you know, universe. Um, mm -hmm. And they cock them up. And ever since then, I have every year hit them back up for that. And they give them to me because I'm a journalist and I ask nicely. Um, thank <laughs> thank right. you, DOD, if you're listening to this. I thank you, DOD. It. We appreciate you. Um, and so I have these beautiful printouts that I print out every year and presumably save somewhere on my hard drive, I hope. And <laughs> <laughs> Right. So I have to ask for them again. And they tell me um, exactly how many people in the active duty service uh, in each branch divided by enlisted officer, male and female, were divorced last year compared to the number of those same people that were married at the beginning right. of the year. Right. Uh, so in fiscal 2019, for example, I can tell you that um, of the 671,591 people who were married um, 20 at the beginning of fiscal 2019, 20,886 of them divorced by the end, 3.1%. Wow. And you know what, this 3.1% or around that 3% mark has been very irritating to me. And I'll tell you why. And I think your article really hits the nail on the head. It has been a stagnant <laughs> number. It just sits at that percentage and um, I love the quote that you had in the article and questioning if over a five years of time, it's still sitting at this percentage. Are some of these programs really working? Is it really making an impact? If we're not seeing a dip in that number, you know, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, so I didn't go into this in the article, but it really goes beyond the five years. Um, it's really been, so if you're a statistician, it's been stagnant forever, okay? To the layman, like you and me, we read this article and we think, well, three the difference between 3% and 3.8, that's almost the whole percent, that's a lot. But to the statistician, that's negligible. It's not, right. it's not any movement whatsoever. So since 2001, it has risen to about 3.8% and fallen back down to 3%. Um, it had this like curve up and then down. It, it peaked in like 2012, I think. 
Um, okay. So it has, so it really goes beyond the five years. Let's start there. Um, and it captures all of the years of the recession, all of the years of deployments, everything, all of Hmm. the years of military marriage mitigation by the defense department. It captures all of them. It's been the same the whole time. Okay. Wow. So what does that tell us about the Pentagon's military marriage programs? Well, according to Dr. Benjamin Carney, who is the um, preeminent expert on this, he literally yes. wrote the study on it for Rand in 2005, which I, right. if you're a really big nerd, you should totally read. Um, it's, a great, it's a great study. Um, according to Dr. Carney, uh, the, what it says is that the programs don't work, bud. You know, good job, guys. Noble effort. They don't work. Um, he suspects, you know, because he's no longer actively studying this, but just right. seeing the data that I give him every year and that we then sit down and talk about, he suspects that what's happening is that people who are likely to go to military marriage retreats, you know, me, me, you know, definitely me, maybe you, right. uh, me. have yeah. <laughs> our major, like strong bonds, sign me up, right? Um, people who are likely to go to military sponsored marriage retreats have their marriage made stronger. Awesome. You know, that's why the, all the studies out of strong bonds retreats say that it's great because right. of course it's great. You were going to go anyway. Um, people who don't go are the people who are struggling. Uh, and they are not, you know, the, the marriage retreats are optional, you know, sometimes you're voluntold, but they're really optional. Right. Right. Um, you don't have to go. And if you're a person who's not interested in improving your marriage, you won't, you know, so it tells us that the programs that they're spending all of this money on are really nice benefits for you and me, you know, um, man, is it a nice weekend? And we should have a nice weekend. There's nothing yeah, wrong with that. Absolutely. But to say that they're having any impact whatsoever on the military divorce rate is it's categorically not, not true. Not true. Because yeah. they're not. Um, and there's no way to prove that they are except to look at the numbers. And the numbers say that's the same. It's the same. So here are some other things that are always the same. Military, fem- female military members. So female Oh, yes. Please talk about this, that. Yep. A mm-hmm. divorce rate that is well above that of men. So let's talk about the numbers. Okay. The, according to Dr. Carney, the best way to look at these numbers if, is to look at a subset, but um, statisticians call it the problem of small numbers. That's literally the title. And okay. it's that small numbers are not good ways to tell trends because there's just not enough data. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the Marine Corps female officer divorce rate, which is at 5.6% this year and was at, uh, was at 4.9% last year. Okay. That's a big jump, right? That is exactly eight more divorces, uh, six more divorces. Six, right. Because it's a very uh, small number. To small start population. Okay. Right. Yeah. So with that caveat, the best way to look at this is looking at army. And the best way to look at the army is to look at the enlisted force because it is the largest subgroup of people. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in the army enlisted males, your divorce rate is 2.9%. In the army enlisted females, your divorce rate is 8.2%. Wow. Yeah. Right. So we know that being a married military, female military member is much more stressful than being a married male military member 
why is that? Well, we don't have data to tell us this, but you could probably guess, right? Like, <laughs> right, gender roles, all the, all the things. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Take okay. Um, we don't know anything about, um, in these numbers, we don't know anything about um, race or other data like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't break it out by age, which would be really interesting. But it does, in the officer enlisted, we know, generally speaking, that enlisted members of the U.S. military are younger in mass yes. and mm-hmm. less educated. Okay. It's just mm-hmm. because if you're an officer, you went to college, so on and so forth. So right. um, in, we know in the broader U.S. that divorce rates among are higher among younger, less educated people than they are among older, more educated people. It's just, that's just the data. Right. And that right. remains true in the military as well. So for example, in the army, the enlisted divorce rate among men is uh, 2.9%. Among officers, it's 1.6%. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's dramatically lower. Right. Um, and that that's true in all the services. It's true for both gender roles. It's true for everything. Okay. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, that's just a little bit of the data. So if you were going to focus your efforts, or like if you really wanted to mitigate divorce among the most at-risk population, you would look at female enlisted troops. And you would Absolutely. focus all of your efforts there. Because they are the most at risk, um, and the numbers say that, and we know that just from, you know, being women. (laughs) (laughs) From being women. Yes, exactly. No, I think, and and, you know, I'm, I tend to be a bit of a a data nerd. I'm with my engineering background. I love diving into the numbers and understanding and help to solve this complex problem because, excuse me, because I think there's something to be said about putting out programs, which again, we are very grateful for. Thank you for my weekend retreat. At the same time, if we really want to add to what is existing to really make a difference, I think it is, it is valuable to know what group we need to focus more of our effort to, and, and, and the data doesn't lie. It's, it's been consistent for over five years, as we've discussed. So, so I, I'm really excited to, with my platform specifically, dive in and, and get some more information and just kind of link arms with this community to help impact that divorce rate. Now, granted, I'm only one person. I don't mind taking it on. Why not? DLG, let me help you. But if we're going to be real about um, these divorce rates and, and the stats, we have to not let this glaring trend kind of just sit there and and us not do anything about it. So Amy, thank you so much for diving into that data year after year. Nonetheless, we, we so appreciate it. I know I always look forward to hearing these figures come out hoping for a change, but I think this really um, sums it up really well of where our effort needs to be more focused to. And I am excited to get after that. And for those who may be in that, um, that area of having a difficult relationship, you're facing challenges, and maybe you don't want to go to strong bonds. I would like to bring this full circle and say that maybe you can, you can try something different. Try what Amy tried for her relationship. Get linked up with humans outside why not let the environment maybe make a difference in your relationship? I know I see drastic differences with my spouse and I when we just go for walks outside. 
I love this commitment that you've made to 20 minutes every day, 365. Right. Now, it, I recommend great... if, if the relationship aspect is really interesting to you, I've got a great episode actually with Corey Weathers in season one. So if you scroll back a little bit um, down the podcast, you'll find her. And she, we talk about just this exact thing, um, how going outside impacts your relationships, why, how to make it better. Um, and really utilize it for that as that sort of um, check-in time, you know, to, to quote her. Um, you know, the it. other thing I, I would say is that, uh, you know, plug for strong bonds or whatever version of that your service offers. Right, but, yeah. You know, the other side is, is that um, marriage retreats are really hard. What if you don't like your spouse? Now you got to go like talk to this guy for like a with uh, around other people around other people <laughs> right, like pretend exactly. to do this stupid workbook you know like you can see i don't love marriage retreats um i strong bonds i've had an okay experience at but you know maybe that was more because they watched my kids and i got to go have a nice dinner you know so that part you know i um i don't think marriage retreats are for everybody and i don't think that I if agree. you're struggling that you should be forced to go like i really hate them for that i feel like i'm being strong-armed into that some sort of commitment that I'm not really interested in doing or ready for. And it's just, it's very vulnerable feeling and it's not cool. I don't like it. Um, you know, so try something else, try therapy, try reading. Uh, I really recommend Corey's book, sacred spaces. Try, you know, it's yes. really, we love Corey. She's, she's uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So give that a read, see, you know, and start with you because hello, you cannot, the only person you can change is you, maybe your kids sometimes. If they're <laughs> Yes. Yeah. But Amy, I but, love that you yeah. said that. You're absolutely you know. right. And that's another thing that we strongly advocate here on Hearts and Stripes is the work starts with you. You are who you can change. So yeah. I think in in being self-aware and in knowing who you are on grabbing hold to your identity. I know as military spouses, a lot of times we struggle with our roles, who we are, what our identity looks like in this ever-changing military spouse life. If Absolutely. you can invest your time on yourself, show up for yourself, then you'll be better prepared to show up for your marriage and make the decisions like uh, Amy and other military spouses have had to make that say, hey, um, I know you love to serve and I respect and I support that, but I'm seeing this in our relationship and let's look at our options and how we can make our relationship and, and really for, for each person to live a more fulfilled life. So I absolutely love that. I love what Humans Outside is doing. Again, check out Humans Outside podcast with Amy. You have been a pleasure to chat with. Thank you it's so, so much nice for be being here. Yeah. And I would like to, before I let you go, is there any advice that you have for anyone listening? By all means, share any last thoughts or advice that you might have. Yeah, you know, I think it really comes back to, to, fixing yourself first. Um, if you've heard anything today in my story or what we've talked about, that's like, whoa, hey, like that's me, you know, just know, like, it's not just you sister, you know, right. it's me too. <laughs> like, like the things that we deal with as military spouses that we think we're super, um, like we're feeling crazy and we're just like, this just must be me. Cause nobody talks about this. Well, guess what? Like they don't talk about it cause they think it's just them too. Okay. So, um, you are one, you are not alone. Two, the only person you can fix is you. So start by doing, start there, you know, that's awesome. Um, and pursue your own wellness. Awesome. And one last thing, we have a special segment that we like to do on 
hearts and stripes and it's our heart tracks so amy has given us a heart track amy would you like to let us know what your song is and why you picked this particular heart track yeah so my song is gosh what is okay for you're gonna have to remind home. me what it's home <laughs> no, okay because i don't like i can never remember the name like i know the lyrics and i'm not no gonna worries. sing for y'all okay yes you should totally right. sing no, that's not happening okay so i um when we left fort campbell kentucky um to so the song talks about um you know it's like this idea of um making home where you are with who you're with okay and um working together to do that that's my interpretation and um here's the thing so we had pat like our household goods have been picked up our house is empty and it is a one of these fabulous golden kentucky middle tennessee nights okay so it's like mm. warm and the sun is setting over the wheat fields and we went out to or the tobacco fields and we went out to um we went out to an event near fort campbell i gosh i hope they still do it it's called picking on the porch it's at a distillery because mm. kentucky okay uh, yeah we have you know live music and it's free and you sit on the lawn and listen to this music and you drink some beer and you eat some food truck food and it is just fantastic okay amazing yeah speaking my thing. love language oh yeah we go to this thing we you know we go with as a family one last time we leave and we decided to take the long way home so we're driving through just these wheat fields and the sun is setting and it's this warm perfect night and we have the windows down and we're literally moving in two days like you know by ourselves we're just doing the thing Mm -hmm. And the song comes on and I'm, I just have remember driving and look, it's just so beautiful outside. And this song is just like speaking my language. Yeah. I have my hand out the window doing the, you know, wavy hand thing in the wind as we go up and down these hills, you know, like you do. Um, and, um, it was just, it's like, it was just like the soundtrack moment. Like, did they know we were going to be right here right I now? I know. It's like song. you painted the perfect scene and then insert song. Yeah, Home it was like a movie. <laughs> and so every time I hear that song, I think of that moment and that the start of that adventure um, to move out here to Alaska. And it's just, um, it takes me back to that decision and, and, you know, what it meant at the time and where we are today. That's beautiful. I love it. And you can check out our heart tracks on Spotify, check out the playlist and you can hear all of the heart tracks from our past episodes. So thank you so much, Amy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Okay, everyone, you know what time it is. It is time to EYS, earn your stripes. So for today's EYS, you kind of could have guessed it. We are going to take the Humans Outside Challenge. That is right. We are going to practice what Amy has preached to us and we are going to implement and see the benefits of going outside for at least 20 minutes all week. I want to see you guys link up with her on Humans Outside on Instagram. Make sure you tag me as well at B Carol Events on Instagram. And I want to see what those 20 minutes each day look like and does for you independently and also collectively in your marriage. So get out there, go outside, grab your code if you need to, and EYS. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. 
This is Hearts and Stripes. We are the few, the proud, that aim high and are forged by love. Always ready, always there. We are Mill Marriage Strong.